This podcast uses adult language. Listener discretion is advised. This is Kevin. This is Elizabeth. And this is the Lesson 83 podcast. Uh, welcome back, Elizabeth. Hey, Kevin. What's up? This is actually the first time we're recording since we released the podcast. We did a lot of pre-production. Yeah, recording. so much pre-production. <laughs> so I want to thank all the people that have been listening so far. It's been great to see the podcast grow. Yeah. We wanted to talk a little bit today about red flags. Yes. So for our first segment today, we're going to run through red flags. Elizabeth, what do you think is a good definition for a red flag? In a relationship context, I would say that a red flag is anything that causes you some alarm or consideration in the initial phases of getting to know someone. It could be that little little tiny alarm bells go off in your head just to give you pause and like consider, maybe reconsider what kind of person this might be. It's not always a deal breaker immediately. A red flag can just be maybe like a a pre, pre-flight warning sign sometimes, but sometimes they're ignored and sometimes they're taken action upon. Yeah. And it can be really hard to notice a red flag, especially when we're in new relationship energy mode. You know, during that first part of a new relationship, it can be really all, all the red flags just look like flags. You're right. New relationship energy really can change the way your brain works. It can flood your system with serotonin and oxytocin, which is the love hormone and makes you feel extra bonded to this person and extra like obsessed with this person for the first like few months or few years, depending on the relationship and such. So yeah, during NRE, it's tougher to see red flags. So I try to like, that's part of why I sometimes date my friends. Cause like, if I already know them for a couple of years, then I already probably have seen any red flags that might be relevant to me. Yeah, but some people do tend to show different colors inside of the context of relationship. Different colors? Yeah. Like they, they might treat you differently than the context of a romantic relationship. I guess that's a good point. I don't differentiate a whole lot between my platonic and romantic and sexual and DS type relationships. So maybe for me personally, it's a little bit more like RA, like relationship anarchy type. Platonic romance is also a thing. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but everybody's different with with what they bring to the the relationship, you're right, and like how they act around that person, that's for sure. So you and I had uh, talked a little bit about what we thought were good examples of red flags, and we, we came up with quite a few. You know, I guess you and I have been around a lot of people who have been burned or have been burned ourselves in other ways to give us a, a good sense of this. One of the ones that we noticed was like being mean towards others, like wait staff or friends or anything like that. Yeah, if I go on a date with someone, like a first date, and they're rude to the waiter for no reason, that's a big red flag to me. Even if it's a friend, really anyone, like even a business partner, if you're rude to wait staff, to me, that says that you don't value their hard work. You don't think they should be making the money they make, which is already not enough. Like to me, that just says a lot, you know? Yeah. And, you know, along those similar lines, trash talking your exes, calling all of your ex-partners crazy. Yeah, sometimes if you have a string of quote-unquote crazy exes, then maybe the problem is that person, actually. Yeah. And if, they're, if they talk about their exes that way, they're going to talk about you that way when you're their ex, usually. So yeah. if, I, if I find someone trash talks all of their ex-partners, they usually, they're the problem. <laughs> Another thing that's common, like it's a common abuse tactic, 
is love bombing, where you shower somebody with a lot of affection. For what purpose, Kevin? <laughs> Usually to try to gain their trust. I I'm not entirely sure it's always even a thing people do intentionally. I think it's just is something people learn subtly over time that if they really pour in a lot of affection into somebody early into a relationship, they can uh, kind of use that as leverage in the future or try to bond to that person uh, really quickly. Yeah, I feel like this is sometimes from parental abuse <laughs> or neglect. Uh, you know, if your parents were hot and cold people with love bombing and then neglect, then it's possible that the children of that situation may grow up with ideas of con conflicted ideas of intimacy and trust and such. And so that can be tricky. So yeah, love bombing is one of those red flags that's tricky because it looks like a good thing, actually. It can feel really good. It can feel good. Like, I remember being love bombed all to fuck by my abuser when I was living with them because they would send me like huge bouquets of flowers to my workplace and like made all these grand gestures about like how much they loved me. And yet they were like abusing me behind closed doors, you know? So yeah, love bombing, big red flag, usually alternated with bad behavior, I feel like. Yeah. And in a similar vein, rushing the relationship, trying to move in very quickly with somebody, trying to escalate that relationship really quickly is, you know, along the same uh, line. Yeah, I would agree. I think that sometimes you just bond really quickly with someone and trust them equally together. But if one person is like, hey, I just met you like two months ago, but we should move in together and also like get pregnant <laughs> you know mm -hmm. that's probably a red flag if they're like you know trying to rush the intimacy and the bonding so that they have you you know in their sphere of influence and that's another thing we might want to bring up is if they try to isolate you from your friends or your family yeah. at all or your community in any way like if they're like oh you shouldn't hang out with your friends you should only see me all the time that's a red flag to me because i i love my friends <laughs> You know, <laughs> and I've been isolated by, yeah, abusive exes who were like, you can't leave the house or see anyone or talk to anyone. And all this seems like out of the context of the relationship, it wouldn't be something you would be susceptible to. But I've seen it happen to friends of mine that have a high emotional IQ. They're really smart and really thoughtful. Otherwise, our brain fills us with a whole lot of feel good chemicals mm, when we bond with new people. And that makes us vulnerable to this type of manipulation. Also, I don't think we put this on the list, but I just recalled trauma bonding, like intentional mm -hmm. trauma bonding. Like if a, a person is like, you know, let's go through some horrible shit together on purpose, then they might feel like you have this emotional bond that you can't escape from each other. And so then you're like more likely to stay with them because you're like, no one understands the horror except for them, you know, so they might do that. If they want to like, that's a form of isolation sometimes. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I can think off the top of my head of examples of that. Can you kind of explain a little bit about what that might look like? Yeah, sometimes people create their own drama or danger situations, whether they are financial or physical or even sexual or social or with their family even. They might create like a storm in order to either rescue you from the storm that they created or rescue you themselves from the storm, but usually it's you. And so trauma bonding in this case might involve like 
hey, I want to take you to this party. And they happen to know that a bunch of drama llamas are there. And then they know that some crazy shit's going to go down. And they take you so that they can like rescue you from this bad situation. Or sometimes it could be like, let me take you to see my abusive mother, you know, and we and I'll show you what a horrible person she is. And, you know, she'll yell at both of us and say snide things and then we'll leave and then I'll cry and then you'll comfort me. And then that's trauma bonding, you know, like to me, that's intentionally creating a situation of danger or emotional distress and making the other person endure that so that you have like an inescapable memory of um, danger together because danger also heightens your like dumb chemicals. <laughs> the chemicals that can easily uh, override our, you know, critical thinking skills. Yeah. Not dumb, that's ableist, but more like, you know, overwhelming chemicals. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a lot of these kind of come into similar veins of control. Uh, another aspect that you and I had mentioned before we start recording today was like control over, you know, your money or your vehicle or your housing. Um, you know, especially early on in a relationship. Yeah. So I definitely think that's a big red flag. If someone is like, oh, well, let's, you know, combine bank accounts. You don't need to withdraw your own money. I'll handle it. That's a red flag to me, unless I've specifically handed over my finances in a DS situation, you know, otherwise that's not cool. And in this context, you mean DS to mean dominant and submissive relationships. I do. A consensual power exchange of dominant and submissive. But, you know, outside of that sort of consensual power exchange, my money is my money, you know, and I don't feel good about other people trying to take that. But also trying to control your vehicle. I've also been through that. And I would say that if someone is like, oh, well, you know, you can use my car, but only when I say so, mm -hmm. that's a form of control. Or you can't leave our house unless xyz unless i'm home unless i'm not home unless the car is whatever unless i you tell me where you're going unless i get to track you those are all red flags outside of like a consensual ds balanced negotiation in my opinion and even in those circumstances like you can have somebody who's moving those goalposts oh, yeah. who has a reasonable request of you hmm. and then when you meet that goalpost Suddenly, it, that's no longer yeah, it's not good what enough. was agreed upon. Yeah. Moving the goalposts is classic, like, emotional manipulation. When someone is like, this is what I need from you. And then you go, okay. And then you, yeah, you get there. And then they go, wow, well, well, you haven't met my goal yet. And you're like, I did. And they're like, no, the goal is way down there. And you go, what? I just got here, you know? I didn't, you didn't tell yeah. me that, that that's not consensual. That's like renegotiating a, a play scene in the middle of something when someone's in subspace, in my opinion, like, or if they're, in, you know, mentally impaired, like through alcohol or something like I, I would say mm -hmm. that at that point, moving the goalposts is like, almost like roofing someone because you're like, because yeah. <laughs> you don't have the same well, mental. It, that's a form of gaslighting, which, uh, you know, do you have a good definition for gaslighting? Gaslighting is when someone says that they claim that something that you remember did not happen. They're like, oh, you don't, you're misremembering that I said that. I didn't say that. I didn't do that, you know, or you're crazy, you know, are you sure your memory's okay? That's classic gaslighting. So anytime a partner especially is like, you know, well, you don't have a very good memory or, you know, that's not how it really happened or X, Y, Z, especially if it's situations that there's no accessible record of, like, 
it wasn't recorded, it wasn't written down, it wasn't whatever. And then they're like making up their side of what happened when actually you were there and you remember that it happened as X, Y, Z, but their gaslighting is going, you don't remember it that way. That's not how it happened. Other examples that we can think of being overly critical of your body or something that you're unable to really change uh, is definitely a red flag. Yeah. Having double standards. Yes. Yeah. Both of those things. Yeah. I, I would say even if someone is like, I had a partner who really abused me because I was thinner than them and that made them feel really insecure and threatened just because I existed. And so they would constantly talk about my body compared to theirs. And that would seemed almost like a positive thing because they would be like skinny bitch, blah, blah, blah. Except that's not a positive thing oh. in that context. Yeah. Name calling. Mm -mm. is definitely mm -mm. one of those things. Oh, if you're bad. arguing with somebody, <laughs> yeah, if you're arguing with somebody who's a partner of yours and they start calling your names, like that is, that's a red flag for I me. I agree. But they were trying to spin it as a compliment at the time. And that's also like gaslighting and fucked up. So it was, it was yeah. a whole ball of wax. But yeah, if someone is like you know, how much do you weigh? Are you sure you should be eating that? Like anything's critical of like your body, the way you handle your body, your body is your body until someone else like, you know, earns the right to whatever you give them in regards to consent, like it's your body. So mm -hmm. anytime someone is commenting on your food, your skin, your hair, your skin color, your, you know, your body shape or weight, that's not okay. And yeah, that's that's another way to like make you feel insecure. So double standards also, you just said anytime if someone your partner is like, well, I can date other women, but you can't or I can date other men, but you can't or, you know, I can do whatever. I can have multiple blah, blah, blahs, but you can't or whatever. And I think there is a, a place for having uh, different rules for different partners. Sure. Uh, in some contexts, but by and large, it's much easier and much healthier to have the same rules for the same people. I agree. Even in DS contexts, I only have like one or two things that are technically double standards. And I present those up front. Like, this is my expectation. Is that cool with you? <laughs> mm -hmm. But that's consent, you know? And so if there is going to be a double standard, it should be up front, in my opinion. Like, Yeah, yeah, it should be something that's mutually agreed upon. Yeah, like monopoly relationships where one partner is monogamous and they don't have a desire to have other partners. They just want their one partner, but their partner happens to be poly. So mm -hmm. their poly partner has multiple partners and their mono partner is just mono, which is fine with them because they're mono. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so monopoly could seem like a double standard to some people, but it's actually consensual if it's negotiated upon and everybody agrees that that's cool. Now, some signs that you may be missing these red flags uh, if your friends are trying to point out, you know, if, if all of your friends dislike somebody, that might be a sign that either your friends or your partner might not be a great choice for you. And, you know, kind of quickly, let's try to talk a little bit about how to disentangle yourself from these circumstances if you find yourself in them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's even trickier, I think, dating as a femme or a woman in this world because we have a little bit less power and safety when it comes to physical stuff and dating. And so it's a, it's a dangerous place if you wear a skirt sometimes or if you're perceived as female in some way. So, yeah, when you want to disentangle yourself from someone who seems like they're not lining up with you in a moral place or in a compatibility relationship place and you decide, first, I would say, if you can upfront be like, 
I appreciate your time, but I don't think we're compatible. Yeah. Goodbye. You know, goodbye. <laughs> like, And you don't even have to be friends with them necessarily because not everybody's compatible as friends. And just because you aren't matched romantically doesn't mean you're going to be matched platonically. So you can say, thanks for your time, but no thank you. And if they react with anger, violence, aggression in any way or insult you immediately, that's a huge red flag too. And you dodged a bullet because... If they're like, well, fuck you, <laughs> then you're like, yeah. oh, damn, okay. So they were going to stalk me, you know, they might pull a weapon on me, you know, like, and so these things can escalate. And I think it's important to check out red flags and be aware of some of the potential red flags in the beginning, especially if you're younger, new to relationships, you know, or deep in the new relationship energy or just excited, you know, like th those can all cloud our minds and judgment. <laughs> So after you try to say, no, thank you, you know, like, let's depart ways, if they react badly, then maybe other ways could be blocking their number, or maybe blocking them on Facebook or whatever website maybe you found them on. That's sometimes necessary. Unfortunately, if you have mutual friends with that person, I, I sometimes will tell my friends like, hey, you know, are this friend of yours behaved aggressively towards me, you know, and I think that's relevant to know, because if your friends wouldn't they want to know if someone in their crew was like violent <laughs> or aggressive yeah. towards people they're trying to date? Like that to me is a red flag. <laughs> so I want to know. So uh, yeah, if you, if, if no, if they don't take no for an answer, sometimes you have to block them. Sometimes you have to talk to your mutual friends and let them know this person isn't necessarily safe or this person did X, Y, Z. And I don't think that's gossip mongering at all. If you are trying to keep your friends safe by you know, letting them know what this people, this person we both know has done. Like just, that's just facts. That's just facts. Like if they wanted to be treated better in the memoir of your life, they should have acted better. And to kind of close everything out really yeah. quick, I just wanted to say to keep in mind that closure is something that you provide for yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you owe to somebody else. And that can be a tactic used by abusive people to keep reeling you back in. Oh, yeah. I had an ex who was like, let's meet in public and cry about our feelings. And I was like, fuck no. <laughs> Sounds like a nope. Uh, and what I requested and required of him was was written communication, because then I had a record of what he was saying to me, what craziness mm -hmm. he was, you know, accusing me of or whatever. And like then he couldn't trap me in public and make me fucking cry. And I can't leave until the check gets there. That's 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 manipulation right there. Like trying to yeah. trap you in public somewhere where you can't leave. No, thank you. You know, something else that people don't always think about, but is important for women in dating is like safety with like safe calls and uh, maybe Ubering and like Lyft. So I try to keep uh, Lyft on on time. Yeah, it's always a, a good thing to keep in mind. Well, we have coming up next another segment, and we'll be right back. Hey everyone, it's Kevin, co-host of Lesson 83. I just wanted to let you know that I run a small company called Y'all Cooking. If you'd be interested in learning how to up your cooking game in a lot of different ways, Please check me out at yallcooking.com or yallcooking on Facebook. Thank you. And welcome back. Hello. Good to see you, Elizabeth. Good to see you, Kevin. 
All right. So uh, we had a question we wanted to respond to. The person writes, my wife came out as gay and wants to date another woman. What does this mean for up till now heterosexual relationship? Pretty straightforward. Or is it? Yeah, I, I feel like there are a lot of uh, aspects to this. Yeah. And maybe first we should say we don't, you know, we can't replace um, a response from your wife. Yeah. Or, you know, fully understand what they're going through. But this is a circumstance I've seen come up in different iterations in online communities I've participated in. A lot of people trying to seek advice for similar circumstances, either because they are the person wanting to or feels compelled to change their sexuality or comes to a realization about their sexuality, probably more likely. Mm -hmm. And also from the side of people who are suddenly having their conceptions of their relationship kind of turned on its head called into question yeah yeah definitely well i have also seen this come up in a lot of poly forums once in a while and yeah as you said i think the wife's opinion on where the relationship stands is the most important of course but i could assume that it would change if she's come to the realization that she's a lesbian then your relationship's probably going to stop being sexual or as romantic and be more of a platonic partnership yeah and there's there are many marriages like that including heterosexual ones where both parties are straight where it becomes or or always has been even more of a partnership friendship cooperation where you raise your children together you run your household together i maybe want to point out that a lot of times this comes out because we have a culture that's not really as permissive uh, around owning your sexuality and identifying as things not as straight less so now and that's why we see it more and more but people got into relationships before they knew that that was an option mm -hmm. just like a lot of people didn't know that you could really have a functional healthy non-monogamous relationship people have come to the realization that oh having a relationship with somebody of the same gender or sex as me isn't as big of a deal as i thought it was right and they come to that realization later in life maybe 15 years into their marriage, their heterosexual marriage as they, as they, as it may be at the time. This can be really challenging for the, like, let's say husband in this scenario, um, mm -hmm. because it can feel like the whole marriage was a lie or that she never really loved him or whatever, but. Love and relationships are never that simple. No, it's not usually that straightforward, I find. And of course, you know, he would need to talk to his wife about how she feels because maybe she's, you know, lesbian in most senses but still maintains a romantic friendship or something with her husband it can be complicated and you know some people are like heterosexual but biromantic or homosexual but biromantic and i was actually going to point that out like it's not as common of a term to be utilized outside of lgbt spaces and outside of poly spaces i see as well to use the idea and concept of homo or heterosexuality versus homo or heteroromanticism. Mm -hmm. Different things. They are. So the idea behind it is what your sexual proclivities are may not match up with who you want to be in loving relationships with. Mm -hmm. Because love and sex are different things, and sometimes they come together, and sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I would say that 
communication is key. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to put together a whole string of us saying that because it is. And, you know, you, you without communication, you're just not going to have a healthy relationship, period. And that applies to monogamy, too, in my opinion. You got to make sure you're on the same page. And if your partner's having a dramatic change of their own identity and orientation, that's a big deal. And so figuring out where you both stand, and it might be up in the air for a while as she figures out how she feels about being mm -hmm. newly, newly out as a lesbian, you know? Compulsory heterosexuality brainwashes most people into thinking that they're straight up until a point uh, when they can no longer tamp down those realizations that they're not. So it's tricky and it's it's often difficult for the person going through the the orientation realization not to mention their partner you know long-term spouse or, or or such so yeah because it, it can call into question the security mm -hmm. you used to feel you had in an established relationship yeah um i think that's a good time to maybe pivot to things this could mean so that people listening to the podcast could understand at least two circumstances i see off the bat of where this is coming from and might go. I've seen this used as a way to be a smokescreen to get yourself out of a relationship you're no longer interested in. And even if your even if your hope is to maintain a homosexual relationship, your desire to do so is more spurred from not feeling like you have you're you're not allowed to leave a relationship because you're failing, quote unquote by leaving or ending an established relationship. And so being polyamorous or just being somebody who wants to identify as a new sexuality could be a way for some people intentionally or unintentionally to get one foot out the door and use it as a as a reason to break up. It could be. Yeah. The the other circumstance that I see as being likely is that somebody who just like we mentioned before came to the realization late in their life or were just only willing to admit it to themselves and their partner later in life. And now they're just as scared and confused and not wanting to end that companionate relationship they've held dear for a long time. So these are two general broad categories that I don't want to claim is exactly what's going on here at all, because I think I've seen both of them happen. Yeah, I think the latter happens much more frequently. I don't think most people have an orientation realization out of malice, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, or or but but you're right that uh, when relationships end, this monogamous leaning heteronormative culture tends to see that as failure. You know, many cultures and even religions frown upon divorce. You're supposed to be with one person sexually and romantically until you die. And polyamory doesn't really work that way usually. So it can be a complicated situation. Me and Elizabeth both share the opinion that a happy, healthy relationship can end on good terms, doesn't have to be a knockdown, drag out fight. And ending a relationship isn't admitting failure. It's admitting that the relationship doesn't work for both people anymore. And that's that's a good and valuable thing to understand and know about your relationship. Yes. Yes, I completely agree. You're right. And I feel like in polyamory, you know, we, we sometimes joke that in poly, you can be falling in love and breaking up at the same time with different people. 
And that can be a whirlwind of emotions because you're not used to that in monogamy. You're not used to having one relationship fail while you're experiencing NRE, you know. And so that can definitely be part of this whole journey. (laughs) So what's some advice that you would give to the husband in those circumstances? Because I feel like we both probably have a little bit we would want to say as advice for the person who's come to the realization. Yeah, I think for the... For the husband in this scenario, communication is first because you can't figure out what's going on with your your lesbian wife if you don't talk. And so don't lose hope immediately because you, you never know how your marriage might continue or even evolve into something beautiful that you that's just new and different. And relationships always change. That's part of why I'm polyamorous. It just makes logical sense to me to, to have the flexibility for change. And that and polyamory can be a really useful way to explore your sexuality and maybe figure out that you are bisexual or or gay, you know, or something else. And she's probably scared, too, uh, if it's the latter scenario we mentioned earlier. And she's probably worried that she's going to lose this partnership or maybe she doesn't know what stepping into the unknown is going to be like at all. Coming out as queer is often very harrowing in this heteronormative homophobic world. And I've certainly lost much of my family from coming out as queer, and that was a long time ago. So it can be scary to think you might lose your partner. And the thing is, you might lose your partner. And that's a possibility. It's a real one. It is definitely possible. If your partner realizes they're no longer attracted to your gender, it could be the end. And so I say don't lose hope immediately, but also keep in mind that things could change drastically and you need to be able to be open to that and also be hopeful for your own future, whether or not it involves your lesbian wife. Kind of sad, but kind of true, you know? Yeah. So I would say if, especially if you plan on continuing the relationship going forward, make sure that you get yourself some therapy, make sure you get some couples therapy. Yes. Because this is going to be quite the time of change in both of your lives, most likely. Recognize that having a companionate uh, relationship, and what we mean by that is like people who live together, but maybe aren't necessarily married or sharing the same type of romantic relationship that they had previously in their life. So... Being open and seeing if that is one solution that meets everybody's needs. Make sure that you give yourself space. Make sure you give your, your you know, husband or maybe former husband some space, depending on how everybody feels like they should continue with the relationship. Don't feel pressured into non-monogamy because you have to keep up a specific air. Do whatever makes sense for everybody involved. And I would say that even in monogamous heterosexual relationships, often you have divorces that result in co-parenting for many years after, you know, and so that can be a friendship dynamic. You know, you're people who used to be married. You clearly liked each other for some reason. And even if you get divorced and you co-parent for the rest of your child's childhood, then you working together. Maybe you're even at each other's home sometimes, you know, communicating regularly about your kids' meds and dietary needs and school. And that in, it, in itself is sort of a companionate relationship or can be. So it, it doesn't have to die altogether, certainly, if both people involved continue to want to be friends or be in a companionate relationship or be platonic life partners even. 
that's totally a thing. And queer platonic is a word that came to mind when this question arose. Uh, queer platonic relationships are difficult to define regarding like the romance level or commitment level, but they they could encompass this type of dynamic where it's not necessarily sexual or even romantic, but it is a life partnership if that's what both people want. And the cool thing about relationships, especially in polyamory, is that it is a choose your own adventure and it is up to you and the people that you are involved with to decide what your relationship looks like. And uh, I want to maybe give a little bit of information to the person who wrote the question out. Uh, make sure you're taking care of yourself. Make sure that you have space away from your spouse when you need it. I would say that if you are the one doing the breaking up in general and you share living space with somebody, try to have the majority or all of your dates out of the house so that your partner has that safe space to be able to be that they feel comfortable or ensure that they have some sort of space that they can be, especially in COVID times. We're less likely to be able to go and see friends. We're less likely to be able to go to the bar. You know, you would normally be out on a date. So be considerate of uh, what type of transition is going on around you and advocate for your own needs for space and feel comfortable in not only taking X amount of love when you when you need more than that and to compassionately end the relationship if it needs to be ended so that you can have time and energy to devote to forming new valuable relationships in your life. Yes, I agree. And therapy for you, because this probably is going to be a difficult time in both of your lives. Yep. I recommend therapy to everybody. Literally everyone could benefit from therapy because everyone has some kind of stress in their life. Everyone or worries or, you know, maybe you want to do better at work or take care of your body better or be better at self-love or self-care like literally anything you know improve your relationship with your family therapy can help anyone so i would definitely recommend that too well i think uh, that's enough for us on this topic uh, i thought that was a really good thing for us to talk about because it brought up a lot of different uh, aspects of polyamory and changing relationships all right we'll be back uh in two weeks with another episode You can find us on Twitter, through email, or on Reddit. To submit your questions or to recommend topics, please reach out to our contact info in the show notes. This episode was edited by Jackson Menton, music by Anti Lude, and logo designed by Carmen Balding. We're a new podcast, and therefore sharing this with your friends or family members could really help us out. Please share. Sharing is caring.